What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand is where you can find the show. You can also find us and follow us on Twitter at HolyLandPod. My name is Colton Denning. I am your host, and it is... Saturday, February 24th, 2018. I'm joined as usual by my buddy, Patrick Mayhorn. I like to call him Columbus Che Guevara. <laughs> Patrick, how are you doing today, man? Do you, you like that? I came up with that on the spot. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid, especially for improv. I, I think you have a maybe a future in, in improv comedy. <laughs> um, we won't get into why I call Patrick that, but let's get into <laughs> today's show. So last night, Ohio State closed out it's regular season by playing, I don't know if I would call it a whale of a game against Indiana, but it was certainly a back and forth, down to the wire game, and they beat IU on the road 80-78 to in double overtime to wrap up their 2017-18 regular season. Ohio State finishes 24-7, and which is still mind-boggling. To, uh, to say 15-3 and three in conference, definitely something none of us expected. We're going to get into our overall thoughts on the regular season and what we think about heading into the Big Ten tournament next weekend. But before we do that, we're going to just wrap up uh, this game and talk about this game because from the start, it just seemed kind of off. The, the atmosphere from Indiana fans wasn't even really that good for their senior day. They haven't been particularly fun to watch this season but Ohio State got up 12 early on but by the end of the first half it was a tie game and quite honestly it was just bad basketball pretty much throughout the game but from the middle portion of the first half on it was rough to watch yeah there were a couple times where it felt like Ohio State could kind of pull away they started off both um you know the first and the second half pretty hot but they're just it was back and forth for pretty much the entire game. It felt like there was um, about a 15 minute stretch in the the last five minutes of regulation and then the two overtimes where neither team could find any kind of a cushion at all. Neither teams were getting stops on defense. It was just it was bad. It was bad to watch. Um, you know, Ohio State did not have much going on on offense. Indiana is. A bad basketball team and continued to be a bad basketball team and it was just it was rough the entire game was rough even you know down to the very end it was never really enjoyable to watch something i noticed and, and put out on our twitter account was that it, it just looks like the team is tired they've played a lot of games in the last month and a half and they just look like they really need a break and when you look at the box score the starters all played over 40 minutes in this game. Kata Bates Diop played 45. He is kind of like the poster child for this game of looking tired. He shot 9 of 24. A lot of his shots, and I, I don't know if it was more early or late, seemed to be going really short. I know he shot the long three in that overtime, but he just looks like he's super tired, and Ohio State isn't getting much, if anything, from their bench, Andrew Dockich and Andre Wesson each played 19 minutes, but Micah Potter was the only person off the bench to score. He scored 
four points. So uh, they just seem like they need a break. Yeah, I mean, they played, this is what, three games in six days. Um, I know they played four and eight a couple of times. It was the, um, I know Jim Delaney came out and said something about it yesterday about how they don't want to do this again. But the the condensed schedule to try and get the um, Big Ten Championship and the tournament in uh, New York and played a week early was dumb it, it was bad it hurt the best teams in the league it, it hurt ohio state specifically because they don't have much depth um i mean andrew dockage was a walk-on at michigan for four years and he just played 19 minutes and has for the entire season there's just there's not a ton of depth on this roster and playing so many games in such a short amount of time has you know very obviously hurt them and honestly i'm surprised that it it took this long for it to start to take you know effect and one of the other things that i think played into that minute it was just sloppy on on both ends of the ball especially defensively for ohio state both the wesson brothers fouled out and if it weren't for the miller brothers the the wesson brothers would have had the worst day in college basketball but the (laughs) miller brothers came to the rescue which we'll talk about a little bit later but jay sean tate also had four fouls. Katie Bates Diop had two fouls. CJ Jackson had three fouls. It was just a there was it was a chunky game from both the players and the officials. It was your typical uh Big Ten game. Indiana only fouled thirteen times. I, I don't think and I saw this on Twitter that it was like, oh Indiana's getting all the calls. I really even though Ohio State had eight more fouls, it didn't really stand out. It just was bad officiating which has kind of been a theme to not only this season but just Big Ten basketball in general from you know as far back as I can remember yeah I'm not usually one to kind of focus on really bad officiating just because in general college basketball is you know it's part of the game you're gonna have bad officiating it's kind of the way it works but Indiana like at home is notorious for their bad officiating and it was it was really bad um Indiana had 10 more free throws than Ohio State uh Ohio State had Ohio State had uh eight more personal fouls at uh, 21 to Indiana's 13 and there were just you know touch fouls at weird times no calls at weird times um Indiana's you know stereotypical glue guys never getting called for anything it was just it was bad it was um you know refs continuously not really knowing how to officiate um on you know plays close to the basket which is most of what ohio state did was uh, you know layups because they didn't have the energy to hit jumpers i feel like we're total assholes for not even bringing up that cj jackson hit this three <laughs> to basically win the game until like six minutes in but this is what type of game it was cj jackson hits the three at the end and my favorite part about how the game ended and how this all happened was cj jackson brings the ball up and he takes a couple dribbles beyond half court and kata bates diop is, is standing right next to him and he just looks at him like for a quarter or a half of a second and then just is like oh fuck it i'll just shoot this thing and totally drains it and gives ohio state the win and i think that by itself is great that jackson was able to hit that shot but just beyond that for the whole game he had 13 points shot five of 13 three of six from deep had three rebounds and two assists and three steals and something that I think he showcased over the last three or four games, even when he isn't the most efficient, I really like how CJ Jackson 
has been aggressive. And he, in that last moment, he could have passed it off to Kata Bates-Diop. And, I mean, you're passing to a guy who's probably going to win Big Ten Conference Player of the Year, so that would have been fine. But I do like the aggressive decision-making that he showed, not only with taking shots, but driving to the bucket and being able to dish out a couple of assists. And as we've seen from Ohio State's offense since, I mean, I would say the Purdue game is really when it started where it kind of took a nosedive. Somebody else besides Kata Bates-Diop needs to be aggressive, and C.J. Jackson did that, and Cam Williams, who we'll talk about here in a second, was also uh, another guy who was aggressive. Yeah, and um, I I think that, you know, C.J. at that point was just kind of ready for the game to be over and decided it was either going to be over from him breaking a long three or him winning the game. Um, And luckily, he hit that. I can't imagine as he was shooting it that he thought he was going to hit it. just because that was that was a really long shot and a pretty dumb shot but um certainly glad it went in but yeah cam cam looked good um i think really for the first time since his suspension he he had struggled in the last couple of games and um i think the chemistry was a little bit off uh, offensively which we certainly saw against penn state and michigan but um i i think on the you know other players trying to step up to fill in where <clears throat> you know when Kata is is being double teamed, which we've seen quite a bit recently, um, uh, Jay Sean Tate I think tried to do it in this game and he he's had success doing it in the last couple of day, games. This was not it. This was not the game for him because there were I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but there were times uh, later on in the game where it felt like Tate just held the ball forever and he was just determined to to score on that possession and he refused to look elsewhere he refused to pass or run the offense and there are guys on this team who i think are capable of playing like that specifically Kada and maybe cj or cam jay sean's not one of them if if he's not getting the bucket by taking a couple steps or driving he's not getting the bucket and it, it felt like he was forcing it, and that's probably another result of the, you know, fatigue. Because that's something you see a lot when a team is tired; is they're not really running the offense; they're just trying to get an easy bucket. Um, and he, I, I think this was probably one of his worst games in a while. And you know, it, it's it's weird to say that because he still had 12 points and six assists and five rebounds, but he definitely kind of struggled offensively at, at moving the ball. Yeah, if you look at the box score, you would think he had a pretty good game. He shot six of ten from the field but he also had four turnovers and when you're playing that forward spot for, for to have four turnovers and to have the ball in his hands in those crucial moments like you referenced I think it was what the first overtime where he he kind of just took over that last possession and it it wasn't ideal but you know looking through the rest of the starters like the same with Jay Sean Tate if you look at the box score it looks like they had a good game Caleb Wesson shot five of seven, but he never really got into the game. And of course he fouled out. He had a couple of nice blocks early on in the game, five rebounds and, and 12 points, but getting back to fatigue and injuries, he's definitely probably that main guy outside of Kata Bates Diop because he's been playing on that ankle for the last couple of games. And it's admirable that he's been able to get out there and he gave them 33 minutes, but more than basically anybody else, it looks like he really needs that rest and to get a week and then those couple of games with the double buy in the Big Ten tournament is going to benefit him more than anybody. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that we've, we've seen Caleb just kind of trying to, to grind it out these last couple of games, and he's 
played surprisingly well um, despite being obviously tired. And I think something that kind of adds on to that fatigue is the fact that um, they don't really have a backup for him. I mean, they put Micah Potter in when Caleb is in foul trouble or when he's tired, but Micah only played nine minutes and he only had four points. And at to this point in the season, I think he's really only been a factor once um, in the, the Northwestern game. He, he played pretty well. But Micah, in general, has not really added much when he's on the floor, and Caleb has had to play a lot of minutes because of that. Um, and it just that, that depth that I mentioned, um, it, it's really starting to take effect on this team, and that, that week off is going to help a ton because, you know, Caleb is pretty much the only – um, true center on this team. Micah doesn't really seem to like to play inside, and Kyle Young is six foot eight. Um, it, it's just it's kind of a tough dynamic. <laughs> uh, well, something I said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago: Micah Potter, when he's in a closed area, whenever he gets the ball, he looks like he has a live grenade in his hand. Like he <laughs> looks like I've got two seconds to get rid of this thing, or I'm gonna blow up and die. And that's not to say he's not gonna be a good player because I, I think he's kind of been thrown into the fire a little bit in some of these situations but especially come Big Ten tournament time and NCAA tournament time Micah Potter right now is is one of those players that his mistake or mistakes plural lead to a huge momentum swinging play for another team like he's the guy that's getting stripped and the other team's going two-on-one throwing an alley-oop or he's a guy that's getting like violently blocked and it's one of the big plays in the game or getting stripped or something like that where it just it's one of those momentum plays and I think over time that that's going to change a little bit but more often than not he looks really lost out there and that goes to the rest of the bench too Andre Wesson is certainly not the player right now that he was in the Purdue game same with Musa Jallo and that's to be expected with young guys like this but even a player that's supposed to be steady like Andrew Dockett's the last couple of games in crunch time, you know, he's, he, he can have his moments, but man, the, the turnover last night and he just really did not give them much of anything. He had four turnovers in 19 minutes. So it was a really rough game for him. And I, I can't say that I feel completely comfortable about the, with the way that they've played, down the stretch going into the Big Ten tournament. We'll see how the layoff, you know, they're able to change some things schematically because offensively, it doesn't look great either. They're they're not getting open shots. Kata Bates-Diop isn't able to get to his spots on the floor like we saw in the mid-portion of the season, but it, it's just rough right now watching them play, and I think that their defense has kind of held down the fort a little bit on that. Yeah, and with the the Andrew Dockett's turnovers, it's become it's become kind of a running joke in the the Land Grant Holy Land Slack chat that he has to have ex- one extremely bad turnover every game, where he he comes in and just throws the ball away just to get it out of his system, um, and he had four of those, which is not great. Um, but I didn't even realize that he didn't take a shot in 19 minutes. Like I remember a couple times where he was open either from three or for a drive, and he just refused to shoot. And that was something we saw from him in the beginning of the season, but he kind of figured it out in Big Ten play, and I think that that was a big part of why they won so many games in a row. And um, I don't know if it's just fatigue for him or if it's just that he's regressing back to what he you know, was for the first four years of his college career, 
but um, it would certainly be helpful to have his production again because he uh, he he has really not looked good since the Purdue game. Yeah, and, and that's a scary proposition because you don't want to count on a player with with that history of just basically being a bench guy to be such an important player. But in that earlier part of the season, you know when they were when they came back and beat Michigan when. They were just stomping through those teams when they beat Iowa, beat Michigan State when they were number one. You don't – Andrew Dockage wasn't, you know, putting up 12, 15 points, but he was a guy that was leading the break, making big plays, being aggressive when, you know, the, the time called for it. And like you said, it just looks like he's very hesitant and very tentative when, when it comes to that. And they need him to be aggressive, you know, whether it's for better or worse. He needs to be aggressive. Because if he's not, then it's just another player on the team that just is kind of out there standing around watching Kata Bates Diop on offense. And that's the last thing that they need right now. So with the win, Ohio State wraps up the season. At the very worst, they're going to be second place regular season in the Big Ten. They're tied with Purdue right now. They're a game behind or a half game, I guess, behind Michigan State, who plays tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this Sunday against who, who do they play? Do they play Wisconsin? Wisconsin yeah. on the road or at home? Um, look, I think it's on the road. Um, yeah, it's on the road. It says 10 a.m. on ESPN's website. I don't think that's right. 1 p.m. Okay, that's better. <laughs> so they they play Wisconsin tomorrow. You, you would figure that Michigan State's going to win that game. Wisconsin has had their moments this season, but they haven't been very good overall. But at the very worst, Ohio State is going to be that second seed and get the double by heading into the Big Ten tournament. Overall, what what do you think about, um, you know, kind of where they are right now, what the matchups are, what what's most beneficial? I know what's not most beneficial for them, but what are you feeling going into the Big Ten tournament? Um, mostly at this point, I'm really hoping that, they, that the seventh seed isn't who it would currently be, which is Penn State, um, because Penn State's going to beat Ohio State if they play them in the Big Ten tournament. And I, I really, I don't think I have any doubt about that. Um, it's a really bad matchup for them, and we've seen it twice now. I just, I think Ohio State can play with pretty much any other matchup in the Big Ten tournament if they are back to what they were, and if they're not fatigued, and if they're just, you know, ready to play their game, and they have their offense figured out. But I, it does not feel like the Big Ten tournament is you know, something that they can win right now. And I, I feel like a couple weeks ago, that was something I was pretty confident in that they would be able to to compete. And I, I would obviously like to be proven wrong. But at this point, with the way that their offense is playing, it's really hard to think that they could beat Michigan State again or Purdue or, you know, even a team like Michigan or Penn State because they haven't. <laughs> they, they haven't beaten Michigan or Penn State and they almost lost to Indiana. And it's just... You know, it, it it feels weird to be kind of pessimistic about a team that went 24-7 and playing C.J. Jackson and Andrew Dockich as their only point guards. Um, but it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of a, a weird feeling right now because it, it, the expectations have changed so rapidly for no real reason. Um, so I'm not really sure what to think. I, I think that they're kind of Schrodinger's basketball team right now. Yeah, and offensively, I, I definitely agree with you that if this is the way they play in the Big Ten tournament, it's hard to see them even getting out of that first game they play, whether it's Indiana, Penn State, you know, whoever it may be. 
But I, I would like to see them play Penn State a third time. I'm with you that it's a bad matchup, and I think, and this is something I put on Twitter as well, any team that they play that is even marginally like adequate shooting threes, they're going to have a problem with just because they're not going to be able to match them shot for shot. And we've seen that play out in both of the Penn State games, but I think that it is a bad matchup. I would feel uncomfortable with them winning that game, but I think it's a game that they need to play with how they've played basically for the last, what, half month or, or month, that if they're going to get themselves out of a rut, they're going to have to do it against a, a team that they don't match up well with, a team that's had their number this season, and maybe that's something you can't quantify. Maybe it's something just mental. Maybe it doesn't mean anything at all, but I, that's the matchup I want to see is them play Penn State and be able to get over that hurdle, even if they don't you know, make it to the Big Ten championship game, if they're able to just get over that hurdle and play better basketball as they head into the NCAA tournament, I'll feel a lot more comfortable. And I would be willing to bet that if Chris Holtman had his druthers, that he wants to see them play Penn State as well and, and to see that matchup and how they can respond after just getting the shit kicked out of them when they were in Happy Valley and to have that matchup for a third time. Yeah, I um I know the players are probably excited about it. I'm very excited about having a week off because <laughs> this it's it's been a rough couple of weeks watching this team. Yeah, play. They, they need it. Yeah, and um I, I think that they'll, you know that that time will kind of help them figure it out a little bit. Um, and I, I think it's it's both a fatigue thing for a lot of the players and, you know maybe even a confidence thing for uh, guys like Kada. I mean he's had a rough couple of games and I, I think some time to regroup and get their offense figured back out is, um, you know, really helpful for them. And hopefully they are back to form uh, come next Friday, be it against Indiana or Penn State or, you know, Maryland, Wisconsin, Northwestern, any one of these teams. Um, I think that they are capable of being what they were uh, through the the middle of the Big Ten season. But it's just a matter of, you know, if they're, confidence and, and fatigue and energy level can get them back to that point. And I think too, we, we tend to focus on the players and we've talked about the fatigue and, and how K, KBD hasn't really been himself, you know, for what the, the last month or so. But I think this having this week for the coaches too to just sit back, digest and see how defenses are attacking, not only KBD, but the offense as a whole, it seems like like schematically, they haven't really had much to work off of either. So I think this will be a good week for the coaches to just kind of take a 30,000-foot view of everything, reshape the offense, see where teams are attacking them, see kind of where their weak spots are. And something that's a little nugget that you mentioned, having Cam Williams play those last, what, three or four games and build, try to build back up some of that offensive cohesion that was missing when he was out, I think is good. And I don't know how much they practice this week or leading up to the big 10 tournament, but that can only help when it comes to their familiarity and just kind of getting used to playing with each other again, I guess maybe that's not the best way to put it, but to just be out there on the floor and have some time to work on it. Yeah. I I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what this team looks like after this break. And um, I I'm still, you know, optimistic about what they can be and I, I think that in general Ohio State fans should still be excited about this team and I'm, I'm assuming most Ohio State fans are um, let's talk about some coaches dropping some bags yeah let's do it <laughs> so um, the the massive Yahoo reports that have been you know coming out the last couple of days um, really didn't mean a ton 
from what I saw, the the one that was about the the agency, I think it was ASM, didn't seem all that significant as it pertains to college coaches and college programs because the the agency is kind of a separate thing. But uh, last night during the Ohio State-Indiana game, um, and hopefully Archie Miller wasn't checking his phone during the game because that would be kind of a, a rough way to figure that out. Uh, but the uh, the latest report was that Sean Miller was uh, uh, recorded on a wiretapped phone talking about paying uh, DeAndre Ayton um, $100,000, which is like, I, I think my main takeaway is that Sean Miller sucks at cheating. Because, dude, come on, don't use your regular phone to talk about a recruiting payment. <laughs> Is you taking notes on a criminal fucking conspiracy? <laughs> like, that's that's what it boils down to because on Twitter, this it's a discussion that always happens, and it usually happens during the college football offseason, and that now it's exploding with college basketball. Jay Billis has been like four – out there in the front of everybody being like, you're crazy if you don't think this happens in college football, which like, yeah, we all know yeah. it does. But <laughs> for the most part, the coaches are smart enough to not handle the dirt themselves. Like they have other people to do that for them. And to <laughs> to just totally out yourself like that is very stupid. And I know that both of us are really on the same wavelength here that we don't really care if these players are getting paid. And in fact, like we hope they're getting paid. Uh, the more money that they can get, more power to them but there's definitely going to be a lot of yellow tape to sort out when it comes to this I know that as of the time we're recording this it may be over Mark Emmert was supposed to speak on uh, CBS Sports Network's Inside College Basketball or whatever today and I'm sure he said nothing of substance or or nothing that's going to make any real sort of changes to the structure of how college basketball works but it's clear that something needs to change in this at least in my lifetime seems like the biggest, uh, I don't want to call it a scandal because it's not that. It's no big deal that these players are getting paid, in my opinion. But something has to come out of this. It has to change, and the NCAA has to figure it out. Yeah, it's um, we're definitely on the same page uh, in our opinion of you know the fact that it really shouldn't be a big deal that these guys are getting paid for the work that they do because they do work and should be paid for it. But um it is it's just kind of wild that um you know a coach is probably going to go to jail <laughs> for paying a player <laughs> like um you know Sean Miller I don't think that this ends with a show cause I think this ends with him like in prison uh, the like it's it's like a crime like he did a crime like a federal one that would put him in prison <laughs> and it's just it barely feels real. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's surreal to watch happen. And I'm not really sure what to think at this point because so many different, you know, major schools have been implicated in this. Uh, you know, Michigan State, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Indiana, Arizona, obviously. And um, I, I think at this point, I'm just kind of rooting for chaos. Um, and that chaos looks like, um, like half of the top 25 being barred from playing in the NCAA tournament and then Ohio State wins the championship because there's no one left, um, which would be very cool. That motto was playing the long yeah. con with Ohio <laughs> State being bad the last four years. So everybody who was burying Thad Mata and throwing shit on him for us being bad, like <laughs> galaxy brain, Thad Mata knew all along what was happening. And I, I guess in terms of how this affects Ohio State, it 
there is no real direct impact unless Chris Holtman was doing something at Butler or any of his assistant coaches were doing something, which as of right now, it doesn't look like that's the case. Uh, we'll see what happens in recruiting with prospects who, you know, may want to go to Michigan state or may want to go to Arizona or whatnot, but them not hiring Archie Miller, whether you want to believe that that was even an option last off season, that would have been a really, really bad look for everybody involved. And you would assume that Ohio state, I don't know if they would have been 24 and seven this year, but, um, or I guess Sean Miller, I said, Archie Miller, but you know, Sean Miller bringing him on would have been a massive hire. And for that to blow up, like it, it would have, would have just been, uh, it would have been pretty rough. So I think as of right now, everything is coming up roses for Ohio state, which like, if you look back February, 2017, and you tell us that, you know, they don't hire Sean Miller, they're not able to get Archie Miller either. And they hire Chris Holtman. I think we all would have been optimistic, maybe a little bit bummed, but for them to be the second seed in the Big Ten as of right now, be 24-7 and seven heading into the Big Ten tournament, and to not have any of this on them is like the most win-win you can get. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that uh, in general, I'm pretty skeptical that there's a program in college basketball that's 100% clean. Um, but yeah, Thad Mata's program was probably pretty close, um, if not 100%, which is encouraging. Um, and I think one of the things that Ohio State fans may not understand 100% when it comes to like the hiring of a basketball coach or the way things work at Ohio State, um, Sean Miller, Archie Miller, Shaka Smart, uh, Billy Donovan were a couple names that were thrown out when Ohio State was looking for a new head coach. Um, there's no way Ohio State looked at any of those guys. Um, there's no way that Ohio State looked at, um, what's his name, Greg Marshall at Wichita State. Um, they didn't because football is king here, and you don't bring a coach that cheats in a different sport because there's no reason to bring attention to the football program. There's no reason to bring a program. There's point. no reason to bring attention from the NCAA or the FBI to the school because then it would be closer to the football program and that's not what they want. That's not saying that the football program is doing anything wrong, but there's no reason to invite that here and they're not going to do it. They, uh, you know, Gene Smith is not a dummy, uh, contrary to what some people think. Um, Gene Smith is good and I will continue that crusade. He is a damn good AD. I know that people want to bring up, you know, when he it's, put the self-imposed bull ban and like, that's whatever. I don't think that they go undefeated that season if they don't have the bull ban and, and that's a play for, but other than that, man, he almost every decision he's made has been, if not gold, then pretty damn close. Yeah. And it just like Ohio state's not going to hire on purpose. They're not going to hire a, a basketball coach that pays players. They're, they're not dumb. <laughs> they're, they're, that's not really the, the MO of this program, um, Gene Smith and the athletic department in general cares more about Ohio State running a clean basketball program than they do about competing for national championships. Um, and that's not to say they can't do both. I mean, they did under Thad. I think they will under Holtman, but they're not going to do it the Calipari way or the Shashevsky way or the Sean Miller way. There's, there's not going to be a ton of five stars. And I, I think in general, Ohio State fans have kind of come to terms with that. But 
And that that's why, you know, Greg Marshall and, you know, all these big name coaches were never really looking at Ohio State and Ohio State was never really looking at them is because that's not how they do things here. It's, you know, it, it's like thinking that, you know, a school like Kansas State in football is going to go out and hire a, a big name, you know, recruiting coach, uh, a coach that doesn't really develop players, but more just goes out and gets five stars and let them play. There's a very specific system in place to keep weirdness from happening. Um, and that's what Ohio State does. That's how the basketball program will always work. And there's no real reason for them to to go away from it because it's worked for the last you know, decade plus. It's worked since they hired Thad. It seems to be continuously working with Holtman. And after the, you know, the Jim O'Brien stuff and the the issues in the 90s, they don't want to do that again. And I really don't think that they're going to. Well, just looking at it overall, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes, how this changes everything. I think the, I don't know if it's the most likely, but what I want to see is at the very least, the athletes are able to promote their likenesses. They're able to build their own businesses off of the strength of whatever sport it is that they play and make that money. I know that I want to see big Bob Landers in multiple Chipotle ads. I think that that works out for everybody who would be unhappy with that. I think just outright universities paying players, I just don't think is going to happen with title nine implications and everything, all the red tape that goes into that. I don't think I would be opposed, but I just don't ever see that happening. But at the very least, I, I think that we're headed down a road where athletes are able to market themselves. And I, I think that that's going to work out. That'll work out for universities and the NCAA as well. And ultimately uh, probably get the NCAA football and basketball series video games back. Yeah, that would certainly be helpful. I'm, I'm still playing CAA 14 for football. and uh, Buddy, college- I'm playing NCAA 07 for PS2 right now. Also a very good game. Have you played the, oh my God, we're so off topic. Have you played the College Hoops 2K8 game? That game rules. Not in years, but... I mean, think about who that doesn't work out for. It works out for the fans. They get the video games that, you know, they they get this series that they've loved. It works out for the players because the players play the video games too. And they they probably won't even get paid that much to do it, but it works out for them. It works out for the NCAA and the universities because they get paid from it with the licensing fees. So I think that that's just something that's a very small, you know, positive ramification. But I think the NCAA is a lot like many other sports institutions right now where standing in the way of them doing anything positive or just like these good things that they could do. And they just flat out refuse to do it until something happens that makes them look extremely stupid. And in the end, if they would have just done it all along or back when they had the chance to, it would have been fine. And that seems like the most likely road that this thing is going to go down. But on the other hand, you know, the NCAA is also the NCAA. So it wouldn't be surprising to see them double down and, based off of the comments that Jim Delaney has made about, well, we'll just go division three before we ever pay players. Who knows? Like that, that's also a possibility. And it's also a possibility that the schools and administrators and coaches and players tell the NCAA to shove off. And we see this kind of be the start of the NCAA's end, which I don't think anybody would really complain about. Yeah. I, um, I, I agree that it seems like, kind of a win-win for everybody um except for the people on twitter who say well the players get paid in their education which is not well it's not and, and here's there. the thing <laughs> a, a common thing that i'm seeing today is 
you know, what about the the backup guys? What what about the bench guys? Wherever you work in in your daily job, what does your coworker make the same amount as you do? Probably not. Like I get paid a very very small check from Vox Media. D- definitely not worth the hours that I put into it, but we enjoy this and that's why I do it. But I do not get paid as much as some of my coworkers, not just talking about land grant, but across SB Nation. Like, that's how it works, man. Like, in this system, that is how it works. And if somebody, if Chipotle, if Nike, if a local business wants to give star football or basketball player $50,000 or even $100,000, the player should be able to take that because that is money that they are earning under this system, which is how everybody else in the country gets paid. So, you know, I don't want to hear that, oh, well, what what about bench guy? What What's he going to get paid? Or what, what are the lacrosse players going to get paid? If you generate the money, you should be able to earn it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's that's what it comes down to is, you know, how – you know how much does someone value the work that these players are doing? Um, and I know that I I get value from what they're doing. I I like watching them play. It, I've you know created a job off of it. Like you know we we write about college athletics. That's that's value. That's you know it's an industry. It's not just you know the you people can say it all they want. These guys are not student athletes. They're athlete students. They are there to play football or basketball or whatever sport they play, and they're doing the athletic or they're doing the academics on the side. They are spending most of their time playing their sport. That's the thing that they're there to do. Most of them value that more than they value the education because it's the thing that they're good at. That's the thing that they're specializing in. And it's you know it's unfair to punish them for that. It, it, the regular students are allowed to make money. Um, what's it, it's just it feels like it has to come to an end soon because it's you know more and more people are kind of noticing how exploitative it is and it it's just it's tiring it's it's tiring that these are you know people who are playing you know they're they're doing one of the most dangerous things you can do um and they're you know, they're still growing people, uh, you know, mentally and in some cases physically, and they're playing an extremely dangerous high contact game and they're not being paid for it. And some of them will never be paid for it. Um, and you know, if that's the Olympic model that you have to do to, to fix it, if it's a, you know, a base income for all of the players, you know, throughout all sports, whatever that looks like, I think that they need to get it done because I don't think that this is sustainable. Um, and, you know, for the, the you know, well, how can the universities afford to, you know, to pay every athlete when there's so many sports? Um, the, the universities are lying when they say that they don't have money. They have <laughs> money. They, I mean, come on. Like, Urban Meyer just is, I don't know if he has yet, but he's going to be getting a contract extension where he makes like $8 million a year. Uh, the, the universities have money. That's not an issue. Smaller schools have money. Bigger schools have money. Everybody that can field a college football, basketball, you know, tennis, lacrosse, whatever sport, if you can field that program, you have money and you're making money off of it. That's Clemson yeah. built a fucking slide and a putt-putt course on their football <laughs> facilities. Like, there's money hanging around. And a lot of, I think, other 
I guess devil's advocate positions for that is what happens to lower level division one teams or what happens to the mid majors. Like personally, I don't really care what happens to them. If they don't have the money to do it, like fine, whatever people want to have this idea of they're already being balanced. And if these changes go forward, that it'll be more imbalanced. No, it'll, it'll be exactly the same. It's already imbalanced. Those are just kind of, I, I think not straw men, but that's just stuff that doesn't, exist but whether we like the solutions or not it's clear that we're on the precipice of some sort of change yeah man the holy land episode where they talked about um economics for a while was weird <laughs> our star ratings going down the yeah train. somebody's already calling you, us you, heathens <laughs> you, you talked about value um i i don't know if this podcast has any but no matter what you think, please send us your 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 thoughts on the subject at Holy Land Pod. I'm at Dubs Co. Patrick's at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Whether you agree with us or disagree with us, we would like to hear your opinion. But that's just kind of our thoughts on the matter. But as we wrap this up, let's let's tie this back into Ohio State and Ohio State basketball. What was your favorite moment or favorite moments from the regular season? Um, probably. The so they didn't end up winning the game, but I was at the the first Penn State Ohio State game, and uh, Kata hitting that three to tie it with just a couple seconds left was um, as excited as I've been at an Ohio State game, either live at the game or at home. Um, I remember just hugging the person next to me that I didn't know um, and just jumping up and down. And uh, obviously that that, you know, euphoria went away quickly. But um, that that was probably up there for me. Um, The Michigan State blowout was extremely satisfying just to, you know, to win a big game like that so convincingly. Um, and the the Kata tip in uh, to win the game against Purdue. I, I would say that's probably my top three uh, moments from the season. Yeah, the, those two to me definitely stand out. The the Purdue game, yesterday's game with with how it ended, and the Michigan State game being able to blow that out earlier on in the season too. Uh, second conference game of the year when they were down twenty to Michigan at home, and then came back and won by nine, and like pretty convincingly. In the second half, I feel like at that point of the season, you know, they had just beat Wisconsin by what, like 33 points. And to start conference play like that, it was like, whoa, what, what is this? Like, (laughs) is this team good? And then there, there are smaller games, like the game before the Michigan state game at Iowa, where they won by 11 points. That was probably the point for me where I was like, okay, like, I don't know if they're top tier big 10 good, but this is definitely not the team we saw the last three years and I don't want to, and we talked about this the last, the last episode. I don't want to get to a point where if they do lose to Penn state or whoever it is, they play in the first round of the NCAA tournament and then lose in the NCAA tournament in the first round. Cause I don't feel very comfortable about their prospects of making a long run, at least at the moment, no matter what happens, I think it's impossible to look back on this season given what we thought about them going in, given who's all been on the floor and how they've been able to develop talent, that this hasn't been one of the most special seasons in recent Ohio State basketball history. And I know that that's easy to say when the last three years have just kind of been mad, but you know, you look at the Thad Mata era in its totality, and there was a lot of really, really special moments. And I think that 
this team, even without making a long run, just by virtue of them playing hard, uh, just being well-coached, and having some of the moments they did in the regular season, it'll make this team stand out in history to me. Yeah, I mean, I've had more fun watching this team than I think pretty much any Ohio State team I can remember. Um, Even the D'Angelo Russell, like this team is a lot more fun than watching what they did with D'Angelo Russell. And I I think that he's more of, he's more special than Kata Bates Diop was even just for that one year. But overall, they've been more fun than even that team. Yeah, um, I think I I could be remembering wrong. Would D'Angelo Russell be a senior if he was still on the team this year? Uh, He'd either be a senior or would have been last year, one of the two. I I think he'd be a senior this year. Um, Just as a hypothetical, Imagine that team if D'Angelo Russell was on this roster. Um, so you have Kata, Jay Sean Tate, CJ Jackson, D'Angelo Russell, and Caleb Wesson as <laughs> your starting five. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. He would have been a senior. <laughs> That's a one that seed. Been fun. That's like a team with three losses, maybe. <laughs> well, and two, this is something that now we're just like, we're just kind of throwing shit at the wall here 40 minutes in. But it'll be interesting, too, to see where the team goes in the next couple of years and how much of a springboard this season was. So, you know, we can inevitably look back at 2017-18 to be like, yeah, that's where it all started. Even though KBD left after the year, you know, Dockage was gone. They lost a couple of players, but Caleb Wesson came back and they were able to build this thing up into something really special. So not just in the moment, but going forward, this is going to be a very special and very important season when you look at the future of Ohio State basketball. Yeah, it's. Um, I think the future is really bright at Ohio State. I, I think next year could be a bit of a rebuilding year, although we thought that was going to be this year. But, you know, when you lose four guys, uh, three of which were starters, it's it's always kind of tough, especially when you don't have a ton of depth. But the class they're bringing in is solid. Um, 2019 could be a really big recruiting class. It's a good year in Ohio. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, Ohio State has a really exciting future under Chris Holtman. Um, I'm not sure if they'll ever compete for a national championship, but I think that at this point, it's safe to say that Buckeye basketball is, you know, back to where it was under Mata in the, you know, the early 2010 uh, era around Aaron Kraft, Jaron Sullinger, um, Evan Turner time. And that's, you know, that's something to celebrate for sure. Do you have anything else to, to speak about today? Football is pretty quiet right now. It's been a little bit since the Tavier Johnson hire, but he's going to be coaching cornerbacks Ohio State football recruiting hasn't been much news on that front and we're at the portion of the season where every day that goes by and there's no news about the football team is the best yeah. news <laughs> I, I I think at this moment right now um, Michigan continues to do bad things they I, I don't know I guess if Ed Warner is, is a bad hire I, I take that back that's not a bad hire but him and Jim McElwain being the architects of that offense I don't think is going to work out well for them so uh like i said michigan can can do their usual and steal the headlines in february as as long as there's no injuries no suspensions none of that for ohio state i think that that's the best news um yeah i i don't have a ton to add um i think the reason that i have a theory on why jim McElwain took that job i think he's really hoping that they'll go to somewhere because uh, you know how they like to go on those foreign trips during the off season I think he's hoping they'll go he, somewhere. He's looking for the next species <laughs> of shark. <laughs> yeah, He's just hunting around the world for different species of shark that he can kill and pose naked with. 
Yeah, he's gonna go to the Bahamas and look for new sharks to kill. <laughs> he's got like one of those uh, one of those scrapbooks, like my summer vacation, and it's Michigan in like the waters of Italy, and he's with some exotic <laughs> shark nude on the beach. I, I like it. I also have a theory that Jim Harbaugh is just a sleeper cell agent. And he never actually repaired his relationship with Michigan from those those times where it wasn't very good, reportedly. And he's just like slowly making bad coaching hires and bringing in lackluster recruiting classes until somebody's like, hey, man, I, I see what you're doing here. You need to stop. And like the fact that it, it would be that Harbaugh's never gotten over the fact that what was it when Dave Brandon was there that they just totally had no respect for him. And there was that point where for what, like a good five years where his name got brought up. And through different channels, it was always like, there's no way Jim Harbaugh ever goes back to Michigan. Like his relationship is totally beyond irre or repairable. And like right now he's secretly taking revenge just like brick by brick devaluing the Michigan football program. That's my galaxy brain. <laughs> okay. I'm going to leave it with this um, just as a, as a theory. Um, and then we can, we can end the show. Michigan head coach, Ben McAdoo. <laughs> at the 50 minute mark i feel like that's a good place for us to wrap up um we'll break down future michigan head coach ben mcadoo here on another episode if you want to listen to the show again which is i uh, would I be a, a questionable decision at this point uh follow us on twitter at holy land pod find us and subscribe if you want to do that on apple podcast by searching hang out in the Holy land, leave a review, uh, leave some suggestions. Hopefully that they're positive and constructive and, uh, go to soundcloud.com slash land grant, Holy land, find us there. You can also buy land grant, Holy land socks, go onto the website. Uh, we'll have a link to that up in the post. We just made some socks. So it's winter time. Uh, you, you want the long socks, you're a basketball player, whatever it may be. You just like nice socks, head on over to land grant, Holy land.com and, find some of our socks pair it up with an actually the spot was good t-shirt and follow us on twitter at landgrant33 and go to landgrantholyland.com to find all of our hot hot content i'm uh i'm gonna throw the explicit tag on this one and and pray for the best patrick <laughs> yeah that's that's a good idea <laughs> all right so until next time and we'll break down the start of the big 10 tournament but until then for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>